This morning we're going to continue through 1 Corinthians, and we're in the fifth chapter. And you know, as you progress through a book of the Bible, if you decide, you know, preaching through a book of the Bible, there are going to be occasions when you're like, well, you know, it would probably be easier just to skip over this chapter. And this is one of those, it would be easier just to skip over it because it is a sensitive issue and it is a, a difficult issue, but it's one that really need, we should address. As a church, we need to address it. Sometimes we have to talk about the tough things. And there are times when I wish we had children's church so the children wouldn't be here, but they're here. So I'll try to present the best I can with the topic that's in today's message. Uh, before I do that, though, that first hymn, he is the potter and we are the clay. And it really will fit with today's message because there are times when the potter has to crush that clay and start all over, doesn't he? Yeah. Has to reshape it and remold us. And there's times where that is the case in the church where he has to crush and then start reshaping and remolding. And that's basically what the, today's message is about. For the destruction of the flesh... Sometimes there's difficult things that have to be done for the destruction of the flesh that the soul might be saved. Amen? Amen. Scripture comes from 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 13. Hear the word of the Lord. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, as absent in the body but present in spirit, have already judged him who has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ." Your glorying, glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven, which leaven represents sin, leavens the whole lump? My friends, the lump he's referring to is the body. He's speaking to the body, the church. So a little sin in the church will affect the whole lump. So you have to remove the leaven so that the whole lump, the whole body, the whole church does not become corrupt. Amen? Amen. Therefore, Purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or the extortioners or idolaters since then you would have to go out of the world. And is not, isn't that true? If we were not going to be around those that are covetous or extortioners or sexually immoral in the world, we're going to have to leave this world because there is so much of it. Just get out in the world and listen. Listen and see and know what's going on. We would have to... Literally leave this world to get away from it. <clears throat> it says, but now I have written to you not to keep company with a, anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous 
or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. My friends, the church as a whole really does not practice as much today, do they? It's a practice that is not followed. Of course, even Paul's addressing it here because Corinth had not done what they should have done. Before we go on, let us pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for your presence. We thank you for your holy word. And Father, we know that your word sometimes talks about difficult things, but things that we need to discuss. But Father, may your spirit guide and direct us today. Father, may we be faithful to hear and take to heart what you have for us. May your name be glorified. May you, may you be exalted, for you are worthy. And Father, I just pray that you would help our hearts to be sincere, to be true, and to be pure for you, that we would be your righteous people. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Last week, <clears throat> I do need it. Sorry, David. Last week, and I was preaching, I briefly touched on the topic of judging. And it said that we are not to judge anything before it's time. But Paul is very clear here in saying that we are not to judge those outside the church, but there may come a time when we need to judge those within the church. It would be and is a tough thing to do, to have to handle, but it needs to be done. We have to tackle the tough issues sometimes. But it should be done with a loving heart. It should be done with compassion. Paul says here, that this wickedness is so evil, so bad, that even the Gentiles consider this an incredible crime. The wickedness that they were allowing within this church. Corinth was known, I said that in the beginning as we began this journey in Corinthians, they were known for their licentious lifestyles. And it's very possible that there were some that came into the church that professed to be believers that had not completely broken away from their past lifestyles. They were continuing this lifestyle within the church. And he says that a man even knows his father's wife. Now, so I believe that to be, it could have been a stepmother, his father's wife. And it's not to be done. Leviticus 18, 1 through 8 says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. According to the things, <clears throat> according to the doings of the land of Egypt, where you dwelt, you shall not do. So he's saying, I've brought you out of Egypt, but you remember what was done in the land of Egypt. You remember their lifestyle. You remember what they did. You shall not do them. You shall not do as they've done. And according to the doings of the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you, you shall not do. He's like, I'm going to remove those people from that land and I'm going to give them this land to you, but you shall not do the same things that they did. That's one reason God was removing them, because of their wickedness. So he's saying to his people, and he says to the church, these things you shall not do, nor shall you walk in their ordinances. He says, you shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. 
None of you shall approach anyone who is near of kin to him to uncover his nakedness. I am the Lord. The nakedness of your father or the nakedness of your mother you shall not uncover. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. The nakedness of your father's wife. You see, there's a difference there from the verse before that. First speaks of mother, and they say, you shall not uncover your father's wife. You shall not uncover. It is your father's nakedness. We have to understand how this is so closely knit together, because what does it say when a husband and his wife is joined together to become one flesh? So if he uncovers his, even his stepmother's nakedness, he is actually uncovering his father's nakedness. It is a great sin against God. We should not do these things. Did anybody pick up on how many times he said, I am the Lord? I am the Lord your God? Four times in that one little passage. He is the Lord our God and He is a holy God. Amen. And He wants us to follow His ordinances and His commandments. He is a holy and righteous God. And we should practice His ways. The Greek word for sexual immorality is only one word. Pornea. They have one word that covers two words in our language. And again, I know the sensitive issues. But you know, there is so much sexual immorality in our society today. It's everywhere. Look at the similarity to the Greek word, pornea, to pornography today. It is probably, you could call it at a crisis level in our nation. And we know that this sinful practice just leads to more sin and more sin. It leads to lust. Because people, I'm not going to just pick out men, but people are filling their hearts and their minds with things that they should not. Sinfulness. And it just causes them to lust for more. It will lead to more sin. Jesus says in Matthew 5.28, But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Same thing. We should not lust for a woman in our hearts. In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 18 and 20. Now, I looked at all of 6. I don't want to jump in too much of 6 since that should be next week. But I can use these two verses, three verses. It says, Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Let that sink in a little bit. We are to flee from it. Run from it. Run from sexual immorality. Because of the effects that it has on the body. Because of the moral and spiritual effects that it has on our body. Because he says this body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So how could someone walk in sexual immorality and think they are filled with the Spirit of God? It doesn't happen. It doesn't, they, they, they do not mesh together. Because God's Spirit will not dwell where there is impurity. Sexual impurity will not dwell there. 
The temple is a sacred place. It is a sacred dwelling place of God. So therefore, we cannot profane it. We cannot fill it with impurity. And secondly, it, is, it belongs to God. It says that it, it belongs to Him. We are His. It's, he is the proprietor of it. It is not ours. So as a temple of the Holy Ghost, it cannot profane, it cannot incur great guilt. And it belongs to God. It is not at our disposal to be used as we want to use it, but it should be used as He has designed it to be used. Amen. The problem was, Paul said that you are puffed up. You have turned a blind eye to what's going on in the church instead of taking corrective actions. He used the word mourn, saying that you have not rather mourned. They have not been troubled by the existence of the wickedness that was going on in the church. Is the church troubled today by sin in the church? We ought to be. We ought to be troubled by sin. We should not just accept it as the norm. Acts of discipline within a church should start with mourning. It should not be an occasion of anger or pride or revenge, but it should be done with compassion for the offender. The purpose of putting someone out of the church, as Paul was directing the church of Corinth to do, was to deliver such a person to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Because once they was removed, they would feel guilt. They would feel conviction of their sins. And then would want to repent of their sinfulness to be able to come back into the church. You know, it was a while back, I don't remember if it was Wednesday night or Sabbath school, we were talking about Jesus' command that if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Or if your eye causes you to sin, to lust, gouge it out. Because it would be better to enter into glory without that hand or to enter into glory without that eye than to not enter in at all. And you know, it was a lot of discussion. I think it was Wednesday nights. But anyhow, it's not a literal thing, but it is an illustration to show the severity of sin. It's how severe sin is. That's how severe it is. We should cut our hands off. And this, is, again, is another illustration of how severe sexual immorality is. That they should be put out of the church to get their attention. Cut the hand off. That gets your attention, doesn't it? Put one out of the church. That's going to get their attention. You know, sin like that will often harm another person. But ultimately, friends, it is sin against God. That's the bottom line. It is sin against God. The Bible contains many references to people admitting that I have sinned against God. Last week I spoke of Joseph. Now I was using Joseph as the illustration of such a faithful servant of God. No matter, no matter where he found himself, he was faithful to God. But I didn't use the illustration where Pontifer's wife tried to seduce Joseph, tempting him, but Joseph did not fall to the temptation. He says, My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? 
That's Joseph's words to Pontifer's wife. How could I do this and sin against God? He didn't say, how can I do this and sin against your husband or sin against my master? How could I sin against God? Yes, it would have affected Pontifer. And it did affect him when he found out and had Joseph put in prison. But the, the, the main thing is Joseph's loyalty lied with God. How could I sin against my God who is so faithful to me? This is where the church needs to be. The church body needs to be. When we sin, we should know that we are sinning against God. Not just against our brother or sister. You know, God gave men and women, men and women, I should say, sexual relations to enjoy the pleasure of that. But God designed that it should be within the bounds of marriage. Ephesians 5, 31-32 makes it very clear. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in, in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husbands. I'm going to say this. Because I can say it. He did not say that a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his husband. He didn't say that a woman shall leave her father and mother and be joined to her wife. Now, he did also not say that a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and anybody else he pleases. Did he? He did not. He did not say that. So I'm not just going to pick on one group. He didn't say many wives, but a man shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Period. Friends, I'm going to say this, and I speak it to the church as a whole. Any sexual relations outside of this definition is sin against God. Amen. Period. Now I know that there could be some watching that may be offended by this. But this is God's Word. And it is the truth. And if we want to do that which is pleasing to God, we follow God's ordinances and not man's. Because He says, I am God. I am your God. We need to do that which is true, pure, and faithful. The problem is in today's world, especially in the West, We've expanded that definition of marriage, haven't they? So the idea that if it feels good, just do it. To the point where sexual purity is seen as archaic and unnecessary. But friend, according to God's word, it is still necessary. God's laws are just as viable today as they were when they were given. Amen. And our God is the same today as He was yesterday. And forevermore, he does not change. He says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5 and 7 through 8, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you sh should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, 
because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject God, reject man, but God, who has also given us His Holy Spirit, who dwells where? Within us. Within this temple. So we reject God whenever we reject His ways. Whenever we go after sexual immorality or walk that life. Believers are sanctified. And for that reason, we are to avoid sexual immorality. The Greek word translated sanctified means literally purified, made holy, consecrated unto God. As Christians, we are to live a purified life because we have been made holy by the exchange of our sins for His righteousness. Our sins for His righteousness. We are a new man, a new creation. Crush the old man, the old clay, and He shaped us into a new creation, pure and holy for Him. The old nature, with all of its impurities, have died, and we are new in Him. We should now live, and live by faith in the One who died for us. To continue in sexual immorality is sin against God. And if one continues to walk in sexual immorality after they profess that they are Christian, leads one to question if they have ever truly been born again. In Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, he deals with, I think, this same issue. And it would appear that the man had repented. In 2 Corinthians 2, Paul discusses this. I don't have the whole thing. But he's talking about the same person. He says the sinner had repented. And Paul writes, The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now instead you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. He says, I urge you therefore to reaffirm your love for him. Verses 6 and 8 says, As soon as the excommunication believer repents, he should be welcomed back into the arms of a warm and loving church community once repentance is established. We deliver one. Why? Because we are concerned about their soul, their spirit. Think about that for a moment. A church that allows such things to go on inside the church does not care about their spirit, their soul, if they allow it to continue and, does, and they do not address it. We need the church, I'm speaking as the church in a whole, as a whole, needs to address such issues because we love the person, but we love them so much, they want, we want their spirit to be saved. Amen. And that's the whole purpose for putting one out of the church, to save their soul. They might suffer for a while, but the hope is that conviction will press upon them and that they would come and repent, turn from that lifestyle, and surrender their hearts fully to God. As the song said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, righteous and pure, holy unto you. Amen? Amen.